All right, guys, welcome back. We've got another episode today, and I'm excited for this one. Uh, we got Cody Hoffheim in the studio, and it's crazy because we actually know a lot of the same people. We do. But I got introduced to you from one of my mission buddies, yeah, Devin Hager. Yeah. And actually, Coach, his younger brother um, okay. in real estate because he got his Jordan. license. Yep. Okay. Jordan. And so that's how um, we're connected with them, or I'm connected with them, and how I got introduced to you. He's like, that's awesome. Cody's a stud. He's crushing it. Hey, let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope this is all true. <laughs> you need to have him on your podcast. So um little introduction. You've been in uh, the real estate game, but more specifically, um, uh, wholesaling. Wholesaling, fix and flip, and just buy and hold. Just long And you franchised rentals. it. Franchised it, yep. So, yeah, yep. anything related to that, right? But you're just getting, you're getting deals coming your way now at this point all the time where people are willing to sell quick and for less, and then you can choose how you want to, you can assign it, you can take it on, you can long-term rent it. And now you've just built this really cool company. So I'm sure we're going to talk about that, but yeah. Yeah, uh, any route you want to take this, we've been doing that. Uh, so I got into real estate about 2015. So from there till now, it's kind of been a big, like, what were you doing before so that? Kind of what insurance was, of all things. Insurance. Insurance. Huh. Like stacking BBs. Yeah. Like that's really the game of insurance. It's huh. like a long-term play. It's, and you don't have anything to do with that anymore. No, that was the first company I ever sold. So that okay. was, uh, I started that in 2010 and that was because of 2008's crash. Mm. My dad's general contractor and I worked for him. And so he, uh, he lost a lot of his clientele like overnight during that crash and bless my mom and dad, they would pay me like a weekly check every week. And we had no work, like <sighs> zero work. And I'm like, dad, I can't do this to you. Like, I'm not doing this to you, yeah. mom. And so I went and got a job for a year, uh, selling vinyl fencing of all things mm. for a company called best vinyl. And then as I was there, I just, I started meeting people. I'd sell them the fence. And I'm like, I'll never see you again. Cause this is a 30 year fence. Like you just sold a product that I'll never have to use you ever again. I'm yeah. like, hmm. didn't think of that. He's like, you really should do insurance. And it's so crazy how, like when you look back hindsight in life, I'm a, I'm a, um, God believing guy. And, and I know you are too, mm -hmm. of how you just see God in the details of, I needed that sales job because that's how I met my current business partner. Yeah. And then I got into insurance and grew, uh, uh independent insurance agency, sold that in 2017. Um, but it was through insurance that I met the term wholesaling. I, I, I insured probably the most fix and flip like rehab investors in the state of Utah. So that's huh. how it all started. And I was like, I was, I was insuring them. And all of a sudden I'd go to their meetings and like, Hey, yeah, I just wholesaled this home and I made X amount of dollars. I'm like, wait, what? Why am I not doing <laughs> what, that? What is this? Yeah. I'm like I made $500 on that policy. That was great. Well, for those that don't know what wholesaling is, I, I, probably relate it to witchcraft, but if you could explain it a little bit better, um, <laughs> one of the reasons I like it is because there's very little risk. Can you explain that for the yeah, listeners? Yeah. It's it, here's how I actually heard it and it made sense. So maybe I'll share it in like the simplest form from how I heard it that caught me on is you really just need to be the deal finder. So if you can go out and find the deals and these are going to be off market deals. So you're working directly with the homeowner. And these are homes usually distressed. So we're not talking your nice home, retail ready homes. That's just yeah. not the clientele. I'd say 90, 90 plus percent. They're, they're bad. I mean, we bought, I can't tell you how many homes we bought in Utah that have meth in them. And they're just not, they're not re retail ready <laughs> because there's so much problems with them. Yeah. But because of that, you also get them at a discount. So we're buying these homes at 50, 60 cents on the dollar or for the wholesale term, we're putting them under contract with the seller at 50, 60 cents on the dollar. And then we find like, Eric, let's say you're an investor. You're like, Hey, I love rehabbing homes. Let me know when you find a new, another home. So I come to you and I say, Hey, I've got this home and let's make up for terms for just numbers. Let's say it's a $200,000 home when it's all fixed up, but I got a contract to put it under contract at a hundred thousand to buy the home at a hundred thousand dollars. I'd come to you, Eric and say, Hey, here's this home. I'll sell it to you for $120,000. And then you go to closing with $120,000. They cut a check to the seller for a hundred grand and then cut a check to me for 20,000. And I just, I move on to the next deal and you're going to sit there and fix and flip it. And then at some you point you say, go for, for it. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. So I hope that broke it down. Yeah, no, I think enough. it's great. It's and, just and a simple way to do it. You're putting it under contract. Are you putting it under contract with a due diligence where you can go and then find somebody to be able to, so you're not like the earnest money you're putting down. It's protected for, Maybe a week or two. That's correct. Yeah. So a deal, due diligence period, just like you would with a normal transaction. Um, that allows you to get time to talk to your partners and investors and see if they want it. And yeah, 
kind of go from there. And you're upfront with the seller saying, Hey, this is what I'm, this is what I'm trying to do. That's exactly and right. you're okay with that. Right. And they say, yeah. And then you just go put it under contract. Your earnest money's protected. If you find somebody, then you just assign it to them and That's then you exactly make the 20 grand or maybe sometimes there's opportunities for you to be able to purchase it if it's a yeah. great deal and then you can do what you want. Yeah. Wholesaling at the beginning for me, it was like my only way to get ahead. Like I had no money to invest. And so that was the best part is it allows you to get into real estate where I think so many times there's too many people in our nation that think you have to be rich to be in real estate or you have to have money to get mm. in real estate. And that's simply not the case. Um, wholesaling was one of those options for me to get into it when I had very little money. I didn't yeah. have much money, but allowed me to then stockpile some money so I could then cherry pick some of my best deals and say, hey, I'm going to fix and flip this one because the spread looks good and I now yeah. have money in the bank and I'll, I'll do this one. And so that's really how it started. And then it got to the point of rentals where it's like, I want to keep this one and have passive income coming in for yeah. the rest of my life. What gave you the confidence to do that? Because you're getting, you, you were still in insurance at the time. You're going to these meetings. Yeah. You see it. What gave you the confidence to be like, I could do that. So I, <laughs> Jim Rohn calls it the mysteries of the mind. Yeah. I don't know. Like, why is it that some people are just so driven to go get something done? And some are like, I want to work for some of the rest of my life. And they, there's a spot for both of those people. There's not one right or wrong. Yeah. I'm just on that driven side. I, I knew I would never be an employee because I'd be an awful employee. Like I just, I, I knew I wouldn't do good working for someone. Um, I just had two big of dreams and I, I wanted to attack it, but I wasn't that successful in insurance. That's what I'll make maybe crystal clear. So as, as our, the audience has listened to this is it was a struggle. 2015, we're five years into it and there's still months that are so slow in insurance mm. that on the renewals. And I come home early one night or one day from work because I usually work long hours. I come early. I come home. I surprise my wife like at one o'clock. She's at the dinner table crying, like hands down in her, her head down in her hands. And, and she's just mm. sobbing. And I remember walking over to her and just like put my arms around her. I'm like, when's what's going on? And she'd been crying long enough that like it's mascara, like <laughs> the mm. raccoon eyes. And I was like what's going on? Tell me. And she's like, well, do we pay for the mortgage this month or do we put food on the table for our kids? And I'm like, wait, what? Like, it's that bad. She didn't make me feel bad. I felt that myself because it's, it's my responsibility to take care of the family, to make yeah. sure that they're the financial means are there to take care of the family. And it's not coincidence. Again, God in the details that the next day I'm going to this Salt Lake Real Estate Investor Association meeting where all these investors meet up in the state of Utah. I've been going to this meeting once a month for five years just mm. so I can hear people say, hey, I have four rentals. I'm like, talking to that guy, that's four policies, right? That's mm -hmm. how, I, that's the ears I had. Well, when you come home, you see your wife crying, wondering how you're going to make the payment on the house or put food on the table. I was like, I've got to figure this out. And so I go to a meeting, the guy stands up and he says, hey, I found this deal. I ended up not wanting it. So I signed it to uh, my friend over here. That's an investor that wants to fix and flip it. And I made $24,000. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, what is this noise yeah, I'm hearing? Yeah. And I went in with a different set of ears. And so it's, it's, it all lines up. Like all these things are perfectly made for me. What I learned during that time was how to be a good steward of the little money I did have, even though we didn't have much, we were good stewards of it. We weren't trying mm. to impress anyone or keep up with the Joneses. We very rarely ate out. My wife would do everything she can to save money. Um, she even would <laughs> bike with, um, I have my boy here in the studio. Um, he would be in a buggy and she would pedal over to Costco so we could save money on gas to buy groceries. Wow. Like we did everything we could and to be a good steward, what little money we had, we would try and get, give it back. We always tithe. We always do things that, um, we know gave us blessing gave us peace and comfort that we were doing the right thing. Um, but we'd always try and give with the little money we had. And we, I remember this like it was yesterday. I, I, me and my wife we were sitting there and we, we, basically had a promise to God. We said, Hey, as we make money, we were already talking like it's going to happen one day as we make money, mm. we are not just going to use it to bless our family's lives. We're going to bless other people's lives. And that changed everything because that started a process where we had $500 in the bank and that was it. Her brother was going on an LDS mission and their parents had just gone through a bankrupt bankruptcy. And so they had no money to send him on a mission. He was left with a bike that he had to pay for. The bike was $500. And I looked at Wendy and Mike, let's test the faith. Let's try it. So we pay $500 for the bike. 
And next day, I'm at work. A guy walks into the insurance office. He's like, I need my insurance policy quoted for my co- for my commercial uh, company. It ends up being like a $23,000 quote. I've quoted homes for 500 bucks, auto policies for 1500 bucks. This is over 20 grand. I'm like, I've never done this before. I don't even know if we're in the right ballpark. <laughs> so I give him this quote and he's like, I like it. Let's move forward with that. And I'm like, there's no coincidences. There's just no yeah. coincidences. And so we, we have our things that we have set aside where we want to, we have things in our life. That's a, like, that's a crazy story, man. Lives. That never happened before. Never 20, that, that big of a deal. Never, never. So that, that paid us. I mean, on a commercial policy, the first year was like a 20% hit. And so it paid us four grand. I'm like, we paid out 500. This guy doesn't know us from anyone walks into the, walks into the, in the office. I happen to quote it, goes with it. It pays me four grand. There's just no coincidences behind that. Um, I think if there's anything from that, that anyone could learn from this is try it, try that principle. That right there is a sound principle. Well, there's a lot of action and love. There's a a lot of action in your story. There's a lot of faith. There's giving. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you feel the same way. Um, about giving but first off i gotta back up and say we've talked on the phone um we've texted back and forth and and when we were talking on the phone yesterday or two days ago i believe it was i'm like i vibe with this guy like everything that's coming out of his mouth we're we're very similar in how we think we're just at different stages of the game i'm a lot younger than you are and you're further along but the things that you're saying i'm like yeah 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 yeah. i'm feeling that same wavelength and I, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but there's something about giving when you already like make up your mind that when you said that you and your wife talked about, hey, when when we're successful, like it's going to happen, we're going to give and we're going to give on a massive scale. And then you did. And then you had that big blessing. Right. But doesn't it kind of like make you feel like, well, I got the most powerful being in the universe behind me wanting me to succeed now. Not that he doesn't anyway. I'm not saying that, but like we got a lot of like backup power behind us because we have the right intention. That's right. You know what I'm saying? That's exactly right. I've always, Jim Rohn has a quote up there. It's one of my favorites. You're the average of the five closest individuals you spend the most time with. You drastically increase that average. If one of them's God, Yeah. like you drastically increase that average. And so that's always been a part of me and Wendy's life. Um, We try to instill that in our kids' lives. And then more importantly is you can't outgive the giver. Like you just can't. You can't go wrong. And at, if you can't give when you have nothing, I think the mindset is when we have money, we'll be able to do this. And I, that's the other fallacy or the, mm. the, the myth out there is once we have money, we'll do this. It just doesn't happen. Habits are habits. And yes. as you make money, if you haven't been giving when you didn't have money, like good luck. It, it's not going to change just all of a sudden because you have money. No, it's, it's just your spending habits become more. And it's like, well, I still don't have money because I, I mean – and you start justifying, I was in this house for so long and now I'm, I want to upgrade to this house. So there's really no leftover money to give. But when I get to the next level, I promise to give and it just, you keep prolonging it. So yeah, giving is I, a huge principle. There was a story that I came back. I mean, along the same lines, I remember when we were just starting out, just starting out. In fact, technically we were in the hole two grand because my wife had $7,000 when we got married in student debt. We had $5,000 in our account. So I looked at it as we're, we're, we're behind two grand. That's right. And, um, I think the world looks at it differently, but I definitely was like stressed out of my mind. Like, you mean we're like in the negative? I've never been there before because I wasn't a big, my parents like no credit card, Dave Ramsey kind of people. Anyway, um, I remember having the thought, why don't I just try to give extra and in fast offerings? Yeah. And I remember going to my wife, we used to give like, I think you were like trying to like, okay, so an average meal is like, Back then, it was maybe like seven, eight bucks. Or so we'll give like 14 bucks this month or something like, and we'll fast, you know. And I went to my wife. I was like, let's give 250 bucks. And she was like, that's a lot of money. And back then it was like 250 bucks is a lot sure. of money. It's like, let's, People let's give 250 today, bucks. like 250 bucks is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, let's just do it. Let's just try it. Just like you. Yeah. And I remember I had a guy that I grew up with in Santa Clara. He owned... um or was part owner in Hendrickson Butler down here with big furniture company. Okay. And this college, the, the medical school out in Ivins was just getting built and he got the contract to get all the furniture out there. I mean, we're talking truckloads of furniture yeah. and he's like, I need movers. I need as many as you can give me. I need like eight, nine, 10 guys working for three weeks all day, every day. And after all is said and done, I made like 30 grand. Yeah. And it was literally right. Like, like you're, 
example, it was right after that first month of us paying 250 bucks and helping out people that need, need food. And it's like, you can't explain it, but there's something behind, and I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is go just give 250 bucks and fast over. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. It's, there's something more to like, when you're in the right mindset of I'm here to give and I'm showing that I'm here to give and I will always give developing the habit. Like you said, I totally agree with that. That's right. Then it feels like inside I expect to win. Yeah. Why wouldn't I win? That's right. Because I trust myself that I'm going to give more and I'm doing it. So I'm keeping the commitment that I said I was going to keep to myself. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a hundred percent. It's the, it's the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's, and sometimes it may take time and I'm okay with that. So look at it as an investment. So many people put money in stock and at some point, 10 years, 15, 20, 30, 50 years down the road, they hope to see a return on their investment. So I, if there's not a direct return, I'd also say, awesome. It's a great investment. You, yeah. you just can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. You just can't outgive the giver. At some yeah. point, it's going to unlock and it's going to be more than you expected. Can, can we talk about this one for a second? This one's going to be hard because it might put you on the spot just a little bit. Okay. But I posted something about this and it was just today and it's right along these lines and it just came to my head. So I just, I'm going to bounce it off. You see if we can have a conversation about this. We're in Utah. Okay. Predominantly LDS. I feel like there's soundtracks in the LDS culture that serve people. Yeah. And there's cultural soundtracks that are just like, where the freak did that come from? And it is the biggest BS I've ever heard. Sure. But people believe in it because sure. it has this hint of scripture or hint of, oh, yeah, that's true. Sure. So, for example. Okay, there's misquoted it, scriptures, too. Yeah, all the time. Right. Or just like. Hard for a rich man to make it to heaven. and Yeah. All the eye of the needle right. and all that. Right. Yeah. So, here, here's what it was. I, I was. I coach a few people in real estate investing and then also in like being an agent. Okay. And one of my students, he, he's doing well, but he's not where he wants to be. And at the end of our hour long call, he, he's LDS. And he said something that I feel like a lot of Christians in general, without just saying LDS, like Christians in general kind of believe. And it was this, it was like, I'm doing all the right things and I'm doing this and I'm, I'm making my calls and, I'm putting in the work and putting in the hours and I'm just waiting for God to bless me. I just know that one day he's going to go bless me, but I'm just, I wish he would just do it now. I wish he would just bless me. And when I hear that, Cody, I sit here and go, the the biggest danger in thinking that is now you're saying that God is in my, in my opinion, a respecter of persons. Yeah. Like that work isn't required. And you say you're doing the work and you're saying you're doing this, but that's actually in my opinion, not true or you would have it. So that's the block. You think you're doing the work, but you're not. And you're also just believing too much in that God divvies it out to people. I think God doesn't care so much. It's like, do you want it? Okay, cool. Like when I pray, Cody, it's like, hey, God, I've thought about this. I've dreamt about this. This is what I want. And I'm going for it. Hey, stop me if I'm wrong, but like, I'm going for it. It's not like a, Hey, please bless that. This will come into my life and this will all work out. And please, please just throw it on my doorstep. And Oh, thank you. If you do, you know, it's like, no, I'm going to go put in the work and it's not asking for permission. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, so, so why do people do that? And is that right? Is that right? Does, is there a place for that? Is it wrong? I, I, there's multiple questions here, but what's your take on that? Um, so if we're going to go like a, 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 where you could use a scripture to tie into this. So I, I hope there's some of this resonates with the prodigal son. Um, he gets his dad's inheritance. One of the sons does well with it, stays home, helps his dad being the good son. The one's like, go lives a crazy life and loses all of his dad's inheritance. Comes back and is well received again though. So now let's, let's break this down into what, is life really about? Life's really about, it's not about if I build a $10 million business, a $100 million business, a billion dollar business. It's not. At the end of the day, my focus and our family's focus is how do we become more like God every day? How do we become the best version of ourselves? So that's maybe a universal principle that everyone can say, hey, I can buy into this. How do we become the best version of ourselves? So today, if I am better today than I was yesterday, I will experience joy today. Joy is not tied to a number in my bank account, a square footage of a home, or the car I drive. It's tied to directly 
did I become a better, better version of myself? And if so, I can promise you the people that are better today than they were yesterday, they experienced a happiness and a joy. That's joy. Joy, if you go to a scripture, it says men are that they might have joy. That joy in that footnote says to become like God or to be just become your best version of yourself, right? I want my boy, he's here. I want my boy to inherit all that I have. But what I won't do is I won't give him that until he can become the person I have become to have what I have. This is exactly like God. God wants to give us mm. all that he has. He says, it's all yours. You'll inherit everything. But the stipulation behind it is we have to become like him or we won't even be able to know how to handle it, manage it, or even know what to do with it. So as much as I want, just like God wants me to have everything he has, as much as he wants that, it's tied to me also becoming like him so I can have the opportunity to inherit all that he has. Like my boy, he has the opportunity to inherit all that I have and I have no problem giving it to him if he's willing to do the work and become like the person I've become or better, mm. right? That's the hope is to become like me so that he actually knows what to do with that because you can ruin a life super quick by giving it to someone that has no personal development behind them. They have not become a better version of themselves. They have not mm. become the person like you to have why you have it. The reason why you have what you have, Eric, the reason why I have what I have, and I'm not suggesting I have this whole world of, of everything in my life. No, it's not. But I do have what I have. You have what you have is a direct result of another Jim Rohn quote. Rarely does a man's income exceed their level yeah. of personal development. So Everything you have in life is a direct mirror reflection of just who are you becoming each and every day. If you want to be a millionaire, go out there and just do a million dollars worth of personal development and watch what happens. You attract that money to you pretty dang quick. Yeah. But you can't teach a Walmart bagger how to be a millionaire being a Walmart bagger. It's yeah. just not going to work. I love the Walmart baggers. I'm not making fun of them. But that value that they're trading in life will never pay them a million bucks. So, so let's keep I going learn. down this because I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, but I want to be able to identify a couple things here. Yeah. I used to think when I was younger, I used to think I got to become something and then it happens. My, my thought is you have to have an identity shift. So the Walmart bagger won't become that because his, in his mind, he's a Walmart bagger. Yeah. But there are Walmart baggers and there's stories of people that still are doing that, but want to be something bigger and want yeah. to be something more, just like your story, sure. selling fencing sure. and insurance and, and where you are now and selling franchises. Sure. I was the same way, but the whole time I'm like, I'm meant for more. Yes. I believe that I'm meant for more. And that is definitely a key like piece to all of this, a piece of the puzzle. It's not the answer, but it's a piece of the puzzle, a, a tool, if you will, yeah. to be able to get where you want to go. So first saying that, the danger, I think, with people, we got to we gotta set a, a, like, a, a standard here. Like The standard being, we're going to assume a couple things, that the person has, has a lot of desire. They're sick of the state that they're in. Yeah. They come home and their wife's crying at the kitchen table and you're like, what's wrong? And she's like, are we going to feed our kids or are we going to, we're going to pay our mortgage? That will kind that of fear. you or will that send Where's you that going to take you? Say, Who are you? Boom. There's yes. my next opportunity. Yes. And is it going to, is your thought, I'm worth it. I'm something. That to me is what it's all about. We're all going to have kind of those moments and are we going to rise to the, like, I am something meant like I'm meant for something greater or are we going to just crumble? Yeah. And I think the danger in thinking that we have to earn it is that we won't believe that we can't, uh, the I am statement, I yeah. am worthy. I am something. I totally agree with you in the sense that we need to earn it and your son needs to earn it. Yeah. And then we have to put in the work, but I think people get caught in that thought yeah. that, well, I have to do the work and be able to get the thing. And once I get the thing, then that means I am that. Now they're attaching, they're attaching their identity to the thing. To the outcome. And they'll never get there anyway because they've never really seen themselves as successful. And even if they did get the thing, they'd crash it and burn it. That's right. So at some point, we have to change our identity. Yeah. And it can start right now. Yeah. It doesn't have to be earn the identity. Because by having the identity, you start to attract the people, your five, the things and the outcomes that you want. Now you just go put in the work. That's right. Right? That's right. And limiting beliefs play a big role in this, right? And most of our limiting beliefs were caught or taught. So when we think the some of the cultural things that are adopted just through any lifestyle, so not just specifically Christianity yeah. Yeah. or anything like that, just there's there's so many 
limiting beliefs Parents, that come from this. Teachers. Yeah. And we make neighbors, them. friends. It's your earliest leaders. It's your earliest people in your life. And so I look at when sometimes we're making these decisions, you've got to be careful because everyone thinks it's just, well, it's just affecting me. Let me give you a story. Yeah. A fleas, stupid fleas, right? They jump four feet. Fleas jump four feet. Put them in a jar, put a lid on it for only three hours. Take that lid off and that flea will only jump to the height of where the lid once was when you took it off. Three hours. Three hours, it's already been trained. You can't jump four feet anymore. And now you've placed a limit on this flea's right. life. Well, when these fleas have offspring, their offspring jump, coincidentally, to the same height as mom and dad, which is a false wall. There's no lid on it anymore. The lid's yeah, gone. But they yeah. only jump to the top of the jar and go back down. So that mom and dad flea, that choice they made affected generations. We have to be careful with our limiting beliefs. These limiting beliefs, they're real. Like if you don't believe you can build a million dollar company, you're right. Henry Ford said it in a different way. He says, whether you believe you can or can't, you're right. Yeah, It's a truth. It's limiting beliefs. And there's so many limiting beliefs. And I, I think there's things that do happen to bless your lives, even in hard times. I lost my mom two years ago to cancer. Mm. And uh, that was a hard time. We took her in because she had stomach problems. And they said, you have two weeks to live. Two weeks. This was a cancer that took her that quick. And uh, when she passed away, it was three weeks later. So I got an extra week. When she passed away, there was a blessing that also came from, like, attaching yourself to mortality and realize every day is a gift, first and foremost. Mm. Second of all, go, go live life without yeah. fear. Like, that was, like, my time to say, you know what? I've been playing small. I have been playing with some fear and limitations, these limiting beliefs. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Like I'm done. It, it, it so relieved good. me of that. It took, it gave me my power back to say, like, go to casino of life. Go all in mm. on you. Don't go all in on corporate America. Don't go all in on playing small and playing safe. Like if you want it, go do it. Amen. And I found out that it is possible. Like what I've done in these last few years has been a, a multiplier of what's been done over the last 15 years because of this gift of losing my mom. And some people say, how's that a gift? It's, it's hard guys. There's days to, I, I still tear up, choke up thinking about my mom. The gift is though, I don't play small anymore. Yeah. I don't play small as a dad. I don't play small as a business owner or a business partner. I don't play small in business. I don't play small in my relationships. I go all in. And that's been a blessing. That's, that's been a so huge good. Gift. That's so good. I have a similar story, but it was with me. I was involved in an explosion and I thought I was being lifelighted to spare the story. You can go back and listen to some in my earlier episodes, but I was being lifelighted and I was conscious. Uh, I had this explosion in the back of the truck. It flew out of the truck. I had second degree burns all over me. They're worried it got in my lungs. So they're lifelighting me to San Bernardino, California in a helicopter. And as I'm in the helicopter, I have the thought just like everything kind of goes silent. It's like, are you happy with the way you're living your life right now? And if you were to die right now, would you be happy? And it was just kind of like numb. It was like, maybe, yeah, kind of, I'm not really pushing as hard as I know I could. And there was, there was a couple of things that I knew I needed to change. There were, pornography was a part of my life at the time. And it was about once a month and I just didn't want it there. Yeah. And I was like, I need to change that. I know I need to change that. Yeah. It's not helping me with my, where I want to go in life. It's not helping my relationship with my wife and my kids. We, we were, had our first and we were pregnant with our second at the time. And it just shocked me. Uh, so obviously I'm here, so I didn't die and we got the wounds cleaned up and, and, and I made Don't it home the story, but it, it, it I'm, worked I'm out. Good. I'm here. I'm here, yeah. <laughs> but it shifted. I mean, it was literally like the explosion was a shock Yeah, and it, it woke me up to why are we living in fear? And, and there's that book. I don't know if you've read it. Outwitting the devil, uh, Napoleon Hill. Yes. I feel like I've read half of it. And it was a little bit more profound at that time of my life to, uh, to I fully understand the concept, but I, this is one I want to go back to it. It, it was one of my favorite books of 2022. And the reason I loved it so much is because I never considered at the time, like Napoleon Hill's not known for being a religious guy. No. He, like thinking grow rich is what he's famous That's for. Right. But that book was written in the early 1900s, but not published till the early 2000s because it was seen as a book at the time when he wrote it, something where he was going to be like, like people are going to think he's crazy. Yeah. 
And so they didn't publish it, but then his family found it in the early 2000s, like, oh my gosh, this is gold. We need to publish this thing. And then it's taken off. The thing that I love about that book, he's having a conversation with the devil and he talks about fear and you mentioned fear and, and, and I have to like live without fear in the, in the book, the devil says, one of the tools that I use to control the minds of men, which he says is his goal is through fear. And he says, I don't care if pandemics, and remember it's written in the early 1900s, but he's talking about pandemics, uh, financial collapses, world wars, big things. He's like, I don't care if they ever happen. I just want people to believe that they could happen. And if I can get them to believe that they could happen, then I've got them because they're captivated, captivated by fear. And the other thing that they talk about in the book is, and I never considered at the time, I was never open to the idea that this could even exist. But the devil said, I have control over all churches, people inside the church. And I was like, what? What does he mean by that? Like, I never heard that. That just seems so counterintuitive. Like my whole life, like you're, you're in a holy place, you know, like why would the devil have any power there? How many things do we do that aren't true, but we're basing it off of a religious belief, but it's holding us like that flea in that jar. Yeah. Because we're not willing to question it. Yeah. To question where it came from. Is this from God or from man? Yeah. It could be from a state president, a bishop, or somebody that, I mean, church doctrine in general has changed. But what is it? Can we challenge that? I think absolutely we can challenge it. We shouldn't just take everything in like a buffet and just say, I'm never going to question that. We need to question everything because if we really think about it, isn't God the author of it in churches? And so if we're really truly seeking him, we're just going to, we're just, it's just going to reinforce that it's true or we're going to lift that lid a little bit and we're able to jump a little bit higher than those three inches. Right. That's right. So anyway, that's why I bring up religion is because it's such an easy one to overlook. Yeah. It's such an easy one to just be like, well, it's just the way that it is. The rich people, I'm, I'm just not going to be rich because rich people are going to have a hard time getting into heaven. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not meant to be rich. Yeah. Yet they ignore all the good people around them that are doing so much good with money. That's right. And they look at money as evil and not neutral. That's right? right. So just an example, but it's a common example. Yeah. No, money's a magnifier. Fear is real. And, and confidence is huge, right? So when you say question, question is, yeah, I want to know for myself. Because the more confidence I have, it's when mm. I sold vinyl fencing. I told them when I sat there in their, in, their, in their little interview room, they said, there's 40 people applying for this job. You don't have a degree in college. 37 of them do. Why am I hiring you over these guys that are more qualified than you? I said, tell me this. Tell me why your fence is better than the guy down the street. And they're like, oh, because we have this, 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 this. I'm like, if you have the best product out there and you're telling me it is the best fence and I know it's the best, I don't care what those 37 have in what degree I will outsell them because once I believe it's game over, I'll outsell these guys in my sleep. And I got the job. It's no different than in beliefs, in everything that we have, the more we can know for ourselves, that confidence is game changing versus, well, yeah, I I think so. Yeah. I mean, well, my mom told me it was right. right. My dad told me it was right. When you know, that's, that's all the difference. That's game changing. That's when you go out with confidence. Um, going back to just fear in general, the fears we don't face end up being the walls in our lives. So if we don't face them, they will end up being our, they will be our walls guaranteed without fail. So how do we face them? Um, you have to know when you're doing them. There's excuses when a good excuse is a good way to say, this is my fear. Like whenever you say, Mm. Oh, I wish I could do that, but, or yeah, I would like to do that, but I'm not meant to be for that or whatever. The, when you hear those, that's an excuse. Behind every excuse lies a fear without fail. How do we beat fear? Um, I loved just recently my six-year-old when this was what, three years ago when she was learning how to ride a bike, maybe two years ago, not long. She's only six. So she, she held on to this fear like, no, like I don't want to ride a bike. I'll fall. I'll break my arm. I'll do this. And to the point where she would cry and like, like hyperventilate. And I was like, it is just a bike. Like all of my kids were just like, boom, go. She wasn't. So I said, I'm going to hold on to you. So I just held on to her shoulders and I just jogged behind her and she got a little bit and then I'd hold her and then she'd go a little bit and I'd hold her. And then pretty soon within I mean, 20 minutes when she decided I'm moving forward, you do, I'm going to do it. She did it. How do we beat fear? Just like my six, well, a four-year-old at the time, 
got on the bike, she faced it with proximity. We can't run away from the fear. We have to look at it face on. We have to attack the monster, attack the demon, and just do it. My daughter learned how to ride a bike, not by thinking about riding a bike. She got on the bike, and now she can ride a bike, and now it's no longer fear. Now it's like this unlimited amounts of joy. She can ride around the neighborhood, and she's like, Dad, this is so fun. Let's go faster. Like She has this actual joy where prior a month, it was a demon. It was haunting her where she was like hyperventilating. We have to do it just like that. We have to be four years old again. Yeah. How do we how do we be four years old again and just jump on the bike and just conquer fears? That's how we conquer fears. We have to face them. You can't run from them. If you run from them, they become walls. Walls stop you in life. And they keep showing up, right? That's right. And one of the things I say all the time, and I love what you're saying. Uh, one of the things I say a lot is that what you resist will continue to persist. Yeah. So it keeps coming back and manifesting Always. somewhere in your life. Always. And when I think about like um, fear in general, I always will have the same thing pop into my mind. It's just an illusion. Fear is always an illusion. If you think about it, fear is something that hasn't happened yet. That's right. And it even can be something that you, that happened in the past that you think will happen again, but it still hasn't happened. That's right. And you're feeling an emotion, you're experiencing something and you don't want it to happen. But what if you just lean into it because it's an illusion? That's right. You could change it. Um, the question came to my mind coming back to, to like wholesaling. Okay. I think in my mind, a common fear in your space would be how many, how many franchises do you have now? You said it was like in the 95, 95. Yeah. And you're having people sling deals with your name on it, your company's name on it. Joe Homebuyer. Yeah. yeah. And, and not all of them are winning at, everyone has their own levels of, of success, right? Of what the world would call success. But yeah, some doing very well. Some just at the very beginning stages, some at the middle stages doing a couple deals a month. So it's kind of all over the place. But whatever business it is, if you go franchise model, you grow big. Yeah. There's a fear that I have no control. And now we're slinging money around. And people are doing stuff at hours of the day that I know nothing about that could come back to me or could haunt me in some way. That's right. How do you overcome that one? Because <laughs> that's next level. That's a big, big thing. How do you make that jump? Yeah. And How did I, you make that jump? This sounds fluff until you get into the trenches of it. So uh, walk with me down this road. This is all about culture. Culture is 60% weight. So if you don't know why you win, I think a good practice for all of us to do mm. often is why do I win? And if you're thinking, oh man, I'm not winning, change your mindset like today if you're, if you're listening to this. Um, why do you win? And that will come up with some values. So Joe Homebuyer's values is honest, humble, heart for others, and hunger. So we have deeper definitions of what those mean, but we know why me and Mark win in our business because of these four H's, these four principles. So we have to attract the same caliber of individuals that are with these four values. So how do you do it? It's easy to do an interview and say, hey, why are you so cool? And they're like, oh man, I'm, I'm so cool because I did this, 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 this. So we don't ask that question anymore because mm-hmm. all of a sudden the next week they're in the office working and you're like, where did this home slice come from? It's not even close to the guy that this guy was saying he was doing. And now he's doing the work. And it's like a fraction of the caliber that he was talking himself up to be. So what we do is we weigh 60%. 60% of whether it's team or whether it's future franchise owners, we 60% is weighed on culture if they fit within these four values. If not, they can't even be a franchise owner anyways. So we're growing at a slower pace than what other franchises would just sell just yeah. to sell because they have a heartbeat. We won't do that because we won't sacrifice that. We make sure culture is protected and then we can give them the blueprint. We believe that if someone is really gung-ho and wants to do this, we've got the blueprint on how to do this A to Z. We need culture though. We need people that are going to be humble, meaning they're going to have a white belt mentality. They're always going to be mm-hmm. seeking advice. They're always going to be a lifelong learner. They're never going to be a know-it-all. We want them to be hungry. That's something I can't teach them. They either have it or they're not. There's not one franchisee that I want to call and say, hey, it's seven o'clock. You guys bought some leads. Like, are you going to dial today? Or like, I don't want to babysit. So we need people that are already motivated when they wake up. We need people that are going to be honest. And that just goes without saying. And heart for others. This business really is when you serve these homeowners at the level that we serve them, the byproduct is you get a home at a discount. But it's not until you serve these people and love these people and listen to what their real problems are and then bring real-time solutions to solve those problems. So that's what we wait on. And that's why we've only had 95 instead of what maybe could have been 250. It's because that is 
everything mm. because you can't bring dishonesty into this. You can't bring someone that says, oh, I know how to do it. I don't need your help. Mm, sorry. <laughs> like, there's going to be a shift and you're going to need our help. We need, we need humble people. We need great people that will always grow with us and, and be bought on those, uh, those same values as us. And that was what was able to help you get over the fear then. So you're attracting oh, yeah. people that are like you. Correct. And even if they operate at 70% of your capacity, you're still cool with that because they vibe and operate under the same core set of beliefs. Yeah. And part of Joe Homebuyer, what are, what are tools that are provided besides just the A to Z on how to find a deal in real estate mm-hmm. is, in fact, we were just doing on the drive down here from Salt Lake is every Thursday we do a personal development call. So part of Joe Homebuyer's system is we're going to help you also become a better individual, a better leader in this world. And the byproduct is the money chases right. you, right? So that Jim Rohn quote, um, we just got to help them. So they're not only just going to learn the A to Z, they're going to become better people. And that's, that's what this is really all about is, is money's a byproduct. I think so many times we chase money and, and, uh, I used to, I would say, I'd be lying to you if that wasn't when you're first married, you're like, I got to do whatever I can to make money. And, and, and I think that's, that's, that's natural. And I think that's normal. Yeah. But the moment I had that, oh man, this is not about money. This is a, just a journey of becoming a better individual, like no more, no less than that. If I became a better person today, whether I lost a million dollars or whether I made a million dollars, did I become a better person because of it? If so, that was an awesome day. Yeah. But in the world, you'd say, man, you just got hit with a million dollars. Like that's an awful day. There's perspective behind Yeah, that. for sure. So. One of the things that uh, Garrett Gunderson, I remember, uh, I learned from him. You know Garrett? I heard of Garrett? <laughs> I want to say yes. Um. He's, he's a stud, but he wrote a book called killing sacred cows. It's not a well-known okay. book, but one of the things he said in there was money uh, is just a receipt for value that you've created. Sure. So you flip it. I believe that you'll create value. Like you're saying the money's chasing you, like you're growing, you're growing in value. You're creating more value. And then money's just going to follow you because it's a receipt. That's right. Right. That's People right. will pay you what you're worth or what your like your value. That's exactly is worth. Right. right? So you just go create more value or become more valuable. That's right. One of the things, Justin, Justin, you're going to be on his podcast. His, he just started a podcast. Like I remember taking him to lunch like a year and a half, two years ago and I didn't know him. And I just like hit him up on Instagram just to get to know him because yeah. he's a stud. And one of the things I asked him um, was kind of along these lines. And and I was like, yeah, how do I hit these goals? Or how to make more money? And his response was, um, why, why, is a di- why is a diamond valuable or something like that? I was like, because people want it. And he's like, because it's rare. It's like, you want to be worth something, become rare. How do you yeah. become rare? And then he took me down the path, like become rare, do the things that a lot of people don't do because then you increase your value and then money's just going to follow you. I'm like, so simple. Yeah. And it's true. It is very true. Robin Sharma breaks it down in just a simple principle. Um, calls it the, the 5% rule and it's do what 95% of the world is not willing to do. Like yeah. to be where the 5% are, you got to be willing to not do, or you may be willing to do what 95% of the world's not willing to do. And you'll be amongst the 5%. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not rocket science and it's not big things. Have you noticed in any leaps in your successes? So you're going your journey. I'm going my journey. We're going at different journeys, but every leap, it's always <laughs> been small things. They're not, it's big usually things. not the neon sign that people try and sell you. No, it's, but yeah. it's, it's always been consistent, um, action, consistent habits. Simple, not easy is what I say. Simple, simple. not easy. But they're it's not, not easy. big things. Like yeah. I think so many times we think, oh, that guy's a billionaire. He must have done something very big. Uh, Richard Branson, every company he touches is a billionaire. He must be doing big things. Do you know what he says? He says, I find Picassos. Yes. I give them the resources that they need. And then I step back and watch them build my billion dollar business. He's just a visionary, a great visionary. Like, that's it. Like I'm like, oh, never in there did he say, oh, what I did is I put it all on black and I... Yeah, I won this time. <laughs> like, no, it's no one big thing. Like, yeah. he is just very consistent at doing the things that matter. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yep. I think a lot of it is just everything that you read in book. Gotta read. Gotta read. Ten you pages gotta a read. day. That's a goal. And that's that's been mine for yeah. since 2015. I've read 10 pages a day and I haven't missed. And whatever it takes. I mean, it, it just read. Yeah. Like it's, if it's three, if it's five, if it's 10, if it's 20, just read. You know, you got to get through content because it reframes all of these things that we're talking about, right? That's right. And that's just been a, that's for the rest of my life, that's going to be a staple. 100%. If I want to keep growing and learning, I have to read and I have to read new content and old content and be able to like, because it eventually starts to feel the same, sound the same with different angles, but I change and life changes. That's right. 
And I also need to be reminded of it. Yeah. Because there's situations that'll come up where if I just read that book, it's like, now I know the answer. That's what I need to do. And it yeah. seems to work more often than not. How so that's a staple. you read a book three years later and you're like, is this a new edition? Like, I don't remember. Yeah, this. you don't remember a lot of it. <laughs> you usually take like two or three principles. That's out of, right. At least if you're me. That's like, right. That's all I do. So simple, not easy because you have to have consistent habits for sure. But um, anyway, the, so many good things. I've I, I got to be honest. I would be nervous to have 95 franchises. That's another level for me. Everything that I've done, um, for the most part, I have a moving company where I let guys go out and I don't even think about them. Yeah. But it's one moving company. It's like one truck at a time, yeah. one per day. Yeah. And like that was hard though. Yeah. For me to let the, like when seven years ago when I started, I used to do all the moves. When, you can ask my wife like when I stepped away and I was just, I was just like fidgety all day long. Like they're gonna break something. I'm gonna have to pay for it. We're gonna go under. We're gonna have to pay all this money. They're gonna break the piano. Something like that. And it was so hard. And now I don't even think about it yeah. at all. Yeah. And I haven't for years. But to get to where I have 95 franchises or franchisees and be able to put that all together. That's hard for me. So it's cool to be able to talk to somebody like you that's done it because it, it kind of gives me permission in a way like, Hey, he's done it. That's right. I can do it too. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. We'll all face what's like the pain loop. We'll always face this. It doesn't matter yeah. where we're at. So where you're saying, Oh man, that, that gives me the heebie jeebies to have 95 uh, moving companies. So at some point we get to a growth pattern where we get into a, like a pain cycle and during that time, it's you have to always look at, okay, what's the next skill set that I need to invest my time in to get to the next level? And then I've got to challenge my beliefs. So these beliefs will keep coming back because right now you're only going to work with what gets you to the next level. So right now there could be a belief system, a limiting belief, and there might be a lack of a skill set that gets you to see why you want, why it makes you a little nervous to do 95 moving companies at this moment. But it's because you're on this journey, you're going to be in this pain loop. And every time when you're in that, like, oh man, I feel like I've got a, like a ceiling on how much money I'm going to make Well, during this time. That's that pain loop. Yeah. Now it's like, okay, what's the skill set to get to the next area? And then what is the belief that's limiting to get me to the next level? You spend the, your time on that and you break free from this pain cycle. And now you get to the next level. And most people, if they're listening, if they're from like zero to a quarter million, I'll give you a, a, a tip right now. It's the number one skill set that most people can't get past a quarter million is delegation. They don't know how to delegate correctly. They don't know how to lead and guide a team. Um, so that's where I'd be spending my time. If I was at the zero to 250 range, I'd be spending it all on learning how to delegate, lead teams, and that will catapult you like it that's cool Appreciate most people's it. doing it themselves like when i had a quarter million anyone i believe anyone can yeah. do a quarter million by yeah. yourself wearing all the hats yeah but i was it can't get to a million by yourself i was in an event with some buddies recently casey baugh we were at his house and and um he's up north i think his net worth is like 175 ish million uh -huh. 175 uh -huh. million and he's just like it, it was so simple again simple not easy he's like there's a path to get to half a million in net a year, there's a path to get to a million. There's a path to get to 10 million. There's yeah. a path to get to a hundred. There's a path to get to a billion. They're all different. Yeah. You can get to half a million by yourself, working really hard, getting really clear, yep. pushing just you solo. There's even some people in this room that could do it by themselves and get to a million. Yeah. But you're not going to get to 10 million. Very rarely, if ever. Yeah. There's a process to 10 million. And we started talking about that. And his whole advice was go and go and read as many books as you can in your industry or wherever you want to go as many books as you can for that whole year and go interview the top five people that are doing what you want to do yep. to get to that 10 million. That's super smart. And then when you want to go to a hundred, do the same thing and if you, or just the next levels, right? To be able to learn what you need to learn. You were going to say something. I cut I you off. Go ahead. No, the genius behind what you just said is only take advice from people you'd be willing to trade mm -hmm. places with. That's the biggest thing. That's the biggest kicker. I remember I bought my first rental and I went to uh, Sunday dinner with my family, like all family. And I told my mom and dad, I was like, I just bought my first rental. And I, I was stoked. Like, I was like, man, yeah. they're going to think, man, that's pretty dang cool. My boy oh, I know where this is going because I've had the same experience. My mom yeah. and dad did it. <laughs> yeah. They looked at me and said, what if they like smoke drugs in the, well, in the house or what if they stupid. don't make the mortgage yeah. payment? Like you're stuck with another mortgage payment. All of a sudden this excitement that I had, I'm Turns telling you, fear. you couldn't even contain the excitement. All of a sudden I was like, oh no. Like, yeah. did I make a bad decision? It's no different than earlier we talked about a Walmart bagger. I would never ask a Walmart bagger how to make a million dollars. You can ask them, 
But if they haven't been there and they're not in the destination you want to be at, why would you do it? And there's so many Walmart baggers with really cool opinions. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, like they're well-spoken. Yeah. yeah. But it's just BS. Like, it is. <laughs> but my dad, he's so never true. owned a, a rental before. And so he knows I share this story often. I say, dad, how many rentals do you own? He says, none. I said, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, do you see how I can't listen to what you just said? You've never owned a rental, but yet you just fed me this Fear. scary list of things that can happen. Yeah. So I went to a guy that had 10 rentals and I said, is this a good rental? He's like, dude, I will take it from your hands today if you don't want it. I yeah. said, why do I want to keep going down this route? He's all, I'll tell you why. Look at my bank account every single month. When I'm asleep, this hits my bank account every single month. And I'm like, thank you. That's and I move I, forward. Yeah. And so... Be selective who you receive your information from. If it's not Amen. someone that you wouldn't trade places with in the information you're receiving. Again, my dad, phenomenal dad. One of the best dads out there. So when I want dad advice, I go to my dad. Mm -hmm. When I want rental advice, I don't go to my dad. It's not the same and person. And that, that I hope people, we will share, sometimes we share it. We, we don't even expect to, we're not going to them for advice, yeah. but we share it with them. That's right. Because we're excited about it. That's right. And I think that's the key is like, guys, don't even share it with them because you're just going to get a whole negative belief system. Sunday dinner's changed. Yeah. It was more about do you shut play your mouth. Yes. Like, do you want to go play cornhole? Yeah. That was what we talked about yeah. on Sunday dinners. I didn't talk about rentals. Yeah. At all. It's Be not worth selective it. where you put your conversations at. It's if you're just not negative energy. To receive, if you're not willing to trade places with a person you're going to talk about, don't even talk about it. Yeah. And if you accidentally do it, you got to pluck it out like you would cancer from your body. I gotta, you brought up pickleball. And so I'm going to, I'm going to end with this. <laughs> and we've been going about an hour. So, this is kind of one. Of, we're going to wrap it up with, with this. This has been good. And we could jam. I could jam with you, dude, for hours. Seriously. Like the, the vibe Likewise. that you bring off and like all the things that you think about and the books that you read and everything. We, I could just like, we need to get on a private jet somewhere and just for four hours and just jam. Just go somewhere. But pickleball. I used to play pro pick, pick pro pickleball. That's a mouth. Oh, like, this is tweezer. way, way above early in the days when it's not as high as it is now. But I, all the guys that are playing pro now, I've played against a lot of them. Yeah. So the guys that are winning, the guys that are top. In fact, the number one guy in the world I played with before, Ben yep. Johns. So people used to come to me all the time and be like, so-and-so taught me how to do this this way in pickleball. And so-and-so had to, he taught me how to do this in, what's with my paddle in pickleball? And I was like, I would say all the time, do you realize there's a lot of bad advice out there in pickleball? Who Who is this person? And they're like, oh, he's a, he's a three, five from California. Like, so you're taking advice from a three, five and you're a three Oh, how far do you think that advice is going to take you yeah, to three, five <laughs> to three, five? It's not going to take you. So be careful. And that was the first time. And I, I was young. I was just at, in college, like 23 when I started. And, and I just like, that was the first time I realized yeah. being at that pro level and then seeing how everybody else was just stuck. It was like, there's just a lot of really crappy advice out there and everywhere. Instagram, social media, everything has made it 10 times You have worse. to have a filter. Everyone's a guru now. Yeah. And you don't know who's right or who's wrong. Right. Yeah, be careful who you follow on Instagram for sure. Like, and, and what books you read and who yeah. you talk to. And that's the circle of five. All of this connects yep. in some way. It all does. And so just trying to be intentional with who you're around for sure, I think is the main point we're trying to make. But yeah. Dude, thanks again. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing and, and thanks Absolutely. for coming on the podcast. It's fun to connect with you and I hope that we can be able to connect more in the future sure and maybe will. do some stuff I'm together. Sure we will. We're heck, we want to move down here, so I know we'll be using you for something. You gotta you gotta buy some one of these cool lots we've been talking about over in Washington Fields. We'll see. We'll see if it happens. But regardless, I would love to figure out how to wholesale and start going down that path because I think I have limiting beliefs there. So we'll have to talk about another day too, cool. just on our own and, and how you got there and what opportunities there. But for those of you that listen this far, guys, thank you for listening this far. If you feel like you've gotten value in this, uh, we're going to share reels on it. Uh, there's obviously this episode, share it with your friends, share it with your family. If you can even leave us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify, it helps us tremendously in getting this out to people trying to provide people with the best quality information and just be able to help people change their mindset. So again, appreciate you guys listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Talk to you then.